Hey, good morning to those of you here in the Modern Worship Service. Good to see you. And just came over from the contemporary service there where we had a chance to welcome and greet. But um, as we are together now for our worship time, and if you're one of our guests here in this room, very, very glad to have you guys here as we come together for the teaching time, the preaching time. Uh, we video from this room into the other room, so that is what you're seeing if you're one of our guests. And uh, we are in week, uh, we begin week four tomorrow of our reading plan, so I brought my journal with me, continue to keep reading, as I said over in the other room, continue to keep walking with us, and we come this morning to Genesis chapter 22. So go ahead and turn there, Genesis 22, and we're going to be looking at one of the great, great stories, and you're probably going to hear me say that a lot throughout the course of this time in the Word together as we read throughout the week in the reading plan. You can see it there in the back of your bulletin. And then we come on Sunday and we pick one of those passages and we just open up the Word and see how God's story is being written through that. And so it is a joy to have you continue to read with us in the Word, as I said over there. Here in the modern service, keep up the great work. Those of you who are watching online, keep up the great work. If you're a little bit behind, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. You can catch up. Just um, avoid Netflix or basketball today and dive in for a couple of hours or whatever it takes for you and the Lord just to be together. And listen, here's the point of this reading plan. It's not just to read. It's to know Him. It's just not a plan. It's a relationship. So treat it that way. And just continue your wonderful, wonderful study of the Word of God. And so every Sunday uh, when we preach from the Word, it's my intention, my desire, to invite one of our folks from the congregation to come and to uh, just simply read the Word of God for us. So last week in this hour, it was Jackson Norman, one of our students. And so today I'm going to invite Rita McIntyre. Rita is... Um, one of our great, great life group leaders, her and Gary. And um, lights just went out. I'm going to keep talking and hope that the lights come back on. There we go. All right, there we go. Um, Rita and Gary are one of our great life group leaders, and uh, they teach at 1030, so Rita's going to come. Come on up here, Rita. I'm going to read, and here's why I do this. I told Rita this first thing this morning. I said, listen, um, here's what we want you to understand as a body, is that the Word of God is not just for a pastor or a teacher to stand up and say, I know the Word, I'm going to give it to you. The Word of God is for you, every single one of you. And so when you see a Jackson Norman, a student, or a Rita McIntyre, one of our life group leaders, a mom and a grandma of people right here at Taylor's, uh, you need to know that the Word of God is for you. So drink it in, take it in. Let's stand for the reading of the Word this morning. Genesis chapter 22. Is Rita, thank you so much. Verses 1 through 8. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. 
Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the teaching and the reading of his word this morning. Let me show you a couple of pictures on the screen. First of all, I want to show you a picture of um, the Wailing Wall, which is in the old city of Jerusalem. And the reason I show you this is because commentators believe, and the, new, and the Hebrew scriptures tell us that Mount Moriah is really the hill there in Jerusalem where the temple was built. So the picture that you see on the screen in front of you is a picture of the Wailing Wall, which is the outer temple wall of the reconstruction of the temple. And so this is a very, very special place. This is where uh, you've seen these pictures maybe on the news. Just saw it recently. The vice president was there, and they and people go and they pray there, and they take little notes, and they, they write notes and prayers, and they'll stick it in the wall. This is a holy, holy place. In fact, if you were to go underneath some of those archways, if you can see them, and back into the the, the, the back hallways and, and the crevices there, you find some of the Jewish people praying back under there because they believe they are closer to where the Holy of Holies stood. Here's my point. This wailing wall and this area is incredibly valuable, holy to these people. Some believe it is so holy. Some Jewish rabbis teach that it is so holy that, that nobody should even go there. But, it, but it's an incredible place that they want to protect and guard. And, and here's the problem. Let's go to the second picture. The second picture is the entirety of the what we call the Temple Mount. You see that square there? That is the size of the temple when it was at its greatest, si- at its greatest size. And so you see there, uh, right in the middle, the Dome of the Rock. So you have the Jews worshiping, praying, some of them, along the wailing wall on one section, recognizing this is a holy place and this is our place. But there you have the Dome of the Rock, and there's just not one, but there's two mosques there. You can see it there on the bottom of the screen, a little temple-like structure. Two mosques there. Muslims believe that this is the third most holy site in all of Islam, And that Abraham was called to sacrifice, not Isaac, but Ishmael on this place. Whereas Jews believe that Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah on this place. It's amazing. This little piece of real estate right here is perhaps the most contested real estate when it comes to religion and worship, and the hearts of people in all the earth. 
And the reason that I share that picture with you is not only to just show you geographically where this text, many people say this text occurred, Mount Moriah, a mountain in Jerusalem, temple there, Muslims believe Abraham called to be there. So not only do we see in this text where Abraham, the location where Abraham was called to sacrifice his son, but here's the real reason that I share this illustration, is because God is going to ask you and me today to come with our hearts and the things that we hold in our hearts that we say, this is valuable property. This is mine. And this rightfully belongs to me. But God is going to come to you this morning and he's going to ask you, can I have it? And there might be a little skirmish going on in your heart this morning. Might be a little contest, and you might say, this is valuable, this is set apart, this is mine, and God might come and say, but do you love me more than what you're holding on to? And this is exactly what God comes to Abraham and asks him to do. In our text this morning, Genesis chapter 22, look at verse 1 that Rita read to us, after these things, God tested Abraham. That is the summary, really, of this whole passage. This is a test. Thought number one, right, of our text this morning is this. God tests us to reveal whether we love anyone or anything more than him. This is what this text is about. God testing him to see whether or not Abraham would love or fear or be attentive to anything more than God himself. Now it says, after these things, scriptures say, what things? If you've been reading along with us over the last few weeks, God has been weaving this story together through families. There was Adam and Eve in the garden. Creation, it was beautiful. It was perfect. Their sin, we looked at it two weeks ago, their sin not only destroyed the world, because when sin entered into the world, it left in its wake all kinds of evil and destruction, and the whole world breaks out in sin and in violence. So much so that as we fast forward through Genesis, God looks at the world that he had made. It was perfect, it was good, but now it is broken and it is evil, and God grieves in his heart that men and women have broken his commandments and broken his word, and he grieves at all of the destruction that has taken place because of it, and he judges the world through a flood. And it was through a family that God preserved the story, the story of the garden, which was that one day he would redeem the world. He would redeem broken men and women. He would bring about his glory again one day through one man. So he does it through Noah and the ark. And when they come out of the ark, the whole world is totally different and totally new. But they begin again. And these families begin to spread throughout all the earth, and they begin to spread, yes, with sin still and with brokenness. And so God says, all right, the plan's going to continue. And now it's going to continue through this man named Abraham. And God calls him to leave where he is, to go to a place that is uncertain. He calls him to step out in faith, and he says to them, listen, Abraham, Genesis 12, through your family, through you and Sarah, all the families of the earth will be blessed. My story began in the garden, surviving through the flood, 
is now going to work its way all the way through you and your family. I'm going to begin a nation, a people group, through you, and from you will come the one. Will come the one that will make all things new. So Abraham is called with Sarah's wife to go down to a brand new place, a brand new country. And they come down, and as an old man, he's 75 years old, too old to have a child. God says, you're going to have a child. It doesn't happen. So Abraham acts with a lack of faith, and with his wife, they have a child through one of Sarah's servants. You might say, that sounds ridiculous, that's immoral, that's wrong. It is, but that is just naturally what you would do. If God told Abraham, you through your family, I am going to bring about my plan, but you don't have children, you do what, what the culture called for. You just have a baby through another means, and so they have a son. So Abraham is certainly thinking, okay, here's the son. His name was Ishmael. Isn't it interesting? that Ishmael would be the father, the father of the Arab peoples. Isaac would be the father of the Jewish peoples. Contention from the very beginning to this very day. Think of Abraham and Sarah and their lack of faith and simply doing what the culture asked them to do, what it called for, and look at what's resulted. But God said, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. I'm going to make of him a great nation. But Abraham, that's not the chosen one. It's not? Nope. Nope. I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And they wait 25 years. And finally, at the good old fathering age of 100, Abraham has a boy. And God says, that's him. Now, after having been through all that, that's after these things. God tests Abraham and says, now I want you to do what? To offer him up as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice before God. Now let me say one thing to those of you who aren't familiar with this story. and You might be thinking, some of you students might be thinking, how awful. Why would God do that? You're absolutely right. God would never, ever, condone or approve of violence to children or to kids or to, to anyone for that matter, but particularly to children. I mean, we see it in Jesus when he comes and the disciples are shooing the kids away and he says, suffer the little children, allow the little children to come to me. He loved them. And God hated the sacrifice of children. Do you believe that this, you understand that this happened in these cultures? So when Abraham is wandering through these lands and he sees these people, this is one of the sins of the people. And God hated child sacrifice so much that he, in his own law, wrote it down and he said, You cannot do this. He condemns it. And it's in the law, and it's in the heart of God. But this one instance, God comes to Abraham knowing that he's not going to put Isaac to death. God knows what he's going to do. God knows what Abraham's going to do. But he comes with this one impossible test. Give up your son. Because I want to see whether you love and fear me more than you love and fear your son. I love what A.W. Tozer, the great writer, said in The Pursuit of God. Listen to this. I think this will set, set the mood and the tone for this if you're not there already. Abraham was old when Isaac was born, old enough to have been his grandfather, and the child became at once the delight and idol of his heart. 
And from the moment he first stooped to take the tiny form awkwardly in his arms, he was an eager love slave of his own son. God went out of his way, verse 2, to comment on the strength of this affection. And it's not hard to understand. The baby represented everything. Everything sacred to his father's heart. The promises of God, the covenants, the hopes of the years, and the long messianic dream. As he watched him grow from babyhood to a young man, the heart of the old man was knit closer and closer with the life of his son, till at last the relationship bordered on the perilous. And it was then that God stepped in to save both the father and the son from the consequences of an uncleansed love. Now, it's easy to understand as a father. It's not a thing we as fathers would not do for our daughters and for our sons. It is easy to understand the affection of a father for his son being asked to do this. But then you double it up with the understanding that, wait, God, you said this was the promised one, and my wife couldn't have a baby, and now she has a baby, and I I held him, and I watched him, and I love him, and I said, look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. And I worship you, and I love you through him, but now you say, give him up? doesn't make any sense. Now listen. This is what God asks you and me to do with something that we love and cling to and hold on to. I don't know what it is this morning. I'm going to try and make this as applicable as I can throughout this text. Where God tests us, listen, where God tests us is where we're fearful to lose control of the things we hold on so tightly. So just think right now, what are you holding on to tightly? What is it that you you hang on to and you and you love it so much, maybe because of the love that you give to it, a person or a thing or an ideal or a mindset or a pattern? The love that you get to it and the love you receive back and you hang on to that with all you have and you fear that if you were to lose that thing, if you were to have to give that up or it were taken away from you, your world would crumble. What is that thing? Then that is probably what God is zeroing in on this morning and saying, do you love anyone or anything more than you love me? It could be the comfortableness of your lifestyle. You like where you are right now. The love and respect of a spouse, the shape of a family, the behavior of your children or of your grandchildren, your marriage, the trajectory of your career. You like where that's going or or you have hopes for where it's going. The integrity of your reputation, your name, you hold on to that. You fight for that. The plans you've devised for your future. The retirement money you've stored up, the retirement plan you've dreamed up and laid out, the years ahead of you. This is what we want to do. This is what we long to do. We're going to hold on to this. God tests us perhaps in our perfectionism. 
Some of you are perfectionists. You got to have it that way, under control. You, you hang on to that. You're people pleasers. You have high and self-centered expectations of others and of, of yourself. And these things, if we hold on to them and cling on to them with everything that we have, it can cloud and it can blacken and darken relationships, and it's a burden on our backs because we hang on to them so closely. We fight and fret over our health when we get sick, over our age when we get old. And when God comes to test you, he is bringing to your attention simply something in which he asks, do you love it and hang on to it more than you love me? So what happens? How does Abraham release what he loves? Second thought this morning, if you're taking notes. In your journal, you're taking notes. Simple question, number two. How do we release what it is that we love? Well, look in your Bible. Look at the space in between verses two and three there. I don't know about you, but mine's a normal page here, and it's not, very, not a very big space. But in verse 2, God gives him the command. In verse 3, Abraham, it says, rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and did exactly what God commanded him to do, or he began to do it. And I don't know about you, but there is this huge space in my mind that says, how can God come to me and ask me to do something like that? And then the very next morning, I wake up and I go, Okay, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go ahead and do that. What happens? I think there's something that we need to see from the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. Don't look it up. It's on the screen for you. Here's a little commentary. Here's a little light from the New Testament that that shines on the Old Testament that helps us out. Here's what it says, all right? By faith, there's the key. Abraham is seeing something different. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Here it is. He considered. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Here's what happens in between verse 2 and verse 3. Here's the big space. Abraham considered that God was able to do what he asked him to do. Here's his thinking. If God said, Isaac is the promised one, the line, the story is going to continue through him, God's asking me to give him up, God's going to raise him from the dead. There's no other explanation. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how long it's going to take. Can't give you all the details, but God is going to raise him from the dead because he considered that God was able. And here is the space between verses 2 and 3 that you and I have to get to. And that is we not only consider what God says to us, and that is important, isn't it? I was thinking about this today, and you might be saying, well, this is what God is saying to me. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, we have all kinds of perceptions and understanding of what God says. Was And here's my warning to you as your shepherd. Check it with Scripture. Please, please, God calls you and commands you to do something. Check it with Scripture. May it be in alignment with what God says. May it be affirmed by others in the body of Christ. May the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, the pure one, lead you through that. But if God says it, 
then God is able to perform and do it. Leave it up to him how he is going to work it out in the end. This is exactly what Abraham does. He's figuring, you know what? This is God's problem because God has commanded me to do it and God is going to make a way to do it. I am going to consider that he is able and I'm simply going to take a step of faith and trust him and do this thing. That's what he does. That's what he does. And in the text here, I want to give you four things under. Number two, how do we release what we love? I want to give you four practical things that I think will help you. It helps me understand when God asks me to do something, I'm sure, and I'm hesitating, and I'm lingering, I'm holding back, what are some things that I can just kind of hang on to and, and begin walking in faith? Letter A, A, B, C, D, under number two. Letter A. Elevate what God says over what we think and what we feel. When God comes to you and says, I need you to do this. I need you to release this. I need you to give this attitude up that you have, this ideal that you have of what your spouse should be, and it's wrong, or of what your or how your children should act, or the expectations you're putting on your family. This, this ideal that, that you have that, that somehow you are morally superior, you are above them and other people, I need you to give that up. I, I just need you to release that. The fear that some of you have. I'm asking you to come and lay your fear down this morning. Some of you live in fear. You wake up. You're paralyzed by it. You, you live through it. Every single thing that comes, you're on pins and needles. You live in fear. Some of you live in great hope of the future. And you're always looking ahead. You don't deal with now. You, you, don't, you don't put your feet down and you don't work and you're, you're not disciplined because you're always saying, well, there's something over here. And God says, I need you to stop looking so far ahead that you're forgetting what, what's here. I don't know. God might be saying, release a habit that you have. Oh, it's something that you do continue. It might not be a, necessarily a sin, but it's something that you continually go to over and over and over again. Some of you are hanging on to guilt. So, some of you are just hanging on, on to, to the past, the glory of the past when it was really, really good. Some of you struggle with looking ahead. Some of you struggle in the areas of your relationships. You've been hurt. Because of that, you can't move forward. And God might be coming to you and say, lay this down. You've held on to it for far too long. Some of you have been offended. And, and, and it's been years. Some of you have prodigal children, sons and daughters. Some of you have prodigal moms and dads. I don't know what it is. We all have these things that, that we hang on to. So, some of us are money. Some of us are finances. Some of us are comfortableness, our cars, our, our certainty of life. We've got to have it. We've got to be certain. And you hang on. Whatever it is. Here, letter A. Elevate what God is saying about those things above how you think and what you feel. Because we as human beings naturally see and walk by what is right in front of us and what's in our heart, what's in our head. That's how we're wired. But faith says, I'm going to elevate that God is able to do what he asked me to do. Letter B, remember what God has done in the past, both the miracles and the mistakes. I love the story of Abraham as we've been reading this week and last week. Man, he makes mistakes. 
he makes mistakes. He, he has he has a son named Ishmael. I, I, and I, I mean, look, look, at, look at all that God has done through the, the Arab peoples, but look at the conflict and look at the tension through the, through the Arabs and the Jews. And it's just amazing how that this one simple mistake in which he said, yeah, okay, this is what all the other families do. He made this, this awful mistake in Abraham. He had to learn from that mistake. He had to learn from the miracles. He had to remember, this is how God is right. Some of you today with your spouse need to sit down and say, look at what God has done. He's asking us to do this. Look at what he's done. He's been miraculous. I mean, Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 99 years old, and they have a baby. That's crazy. That's miraculous. Here's a phrase that I came up with under this letter B is lean into God's power and learn from God's mercy. This will help some of you. You're asked to take a step, lean into God's power. It's not, look, he's going to empower you to do what he asks you to do. But lean, some of you are going to have to lean into his mercy. Learn from his mercy. He's a merciful God. If you repent, you turn. Some of you have never learned and, and saturated in and and, and, and been loved by God in his forgiveness as you repent from your sin. Let her see. Respond immediately. What you see here in the text is Abraham saddles up his donkey. He takes two of his young men. He grabs the wood. He puts it on the donkey. They start walking. He goes. He goes. Respond immediately. When God says do it, do it. No delay. You know, I'm trying to walk with my kids through the reading plan, and parents, it, it, it's not easy, is it? <laughs> it's just not easy to keep them on track, keep them going. We're trying. Hey, we're right there with you. We're trying to read together and learn together. So I came to Harrison yesterday, and I said, all right, man, I'm preaching Genesis 22. Help me. Help me preach this thing. What, what do you, what's the one thing that, what's the highlight from, from this passage? And he, he just said, no breaks. <laughs> so what do you mean, no breaks? He, he, he didn't put on, he didn't pump the brakes. When God told him to do something, he was gone. He, he just did it. How did he do that? I don't know. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But he just did it. Let her see. No breaks. Here's the tendency when God gives you something to do. Right? You're driving in one of the ice storms we've had here in the upstate over the last few weeks. Right? Snowstorms. And you pump those brakes. And you're, you're trying to check it out. Make sure it's okay. Right? Abraham's like, nope, we're going. Once he determined God is able. And his heart was more captured by God's power and his promises than he was his own emotions and his feelings. He said, no breaks, we're going. Respond to me. If not, here's what the delay does. The delay ultimately means that you're not going to do it in many, many cases. If you, if you wait a, a week, you wait a day, you wait a month, whatever, it's, it's, it's more than likely not going to happen. Whatever God asks you to do. Letter D, be committed to the end because it will be easy to have second thoughts. Can you imagine? Three days journey. Look at your text. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, you stay here. I love this. You stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go out and worship and come again to you. The text there, the Hebrew text is a very strong language. We are determined, literally, we are determined to go. We are determined to worship and we are determined to come back. He's committed, letter D. And Abraham takes everything, it says in the text. And Isaac comes to him. Now, here's where the second thoughts come in. Isaac comes to him and says, Dad, 
Dad, I see here what we're going to do. I got it. I think I got it at this point. We're going to go up on this, this mountain. We've been together three days, and you've said we're going to go worship God. We're going to go sacrifice up here. Okay. There's one thing missing. Where's the, the animal? How, how are we going to do this? Now, do you, you mean to tell me that as a father, letter D, you're not going to have second thoughts? Maybe God, okay, God, you have gone this far. I see the mountain. Okay. I don't know. That's where some of you are. And Abraham responds to him. Let's go, verse 9, look at it. When they came to the place of which God had told him. He keeps going. Read with me. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. He's going to go all the way to the end. Here is a powerful scene. And this brings us to our third thought this morning. Here's the beautiful part of the story. God provides for those who step out in obedient faith. God provides. It's one of the key phrases in this passage. God will provide. Abraham tells him, God will provide. Isaac, you're asking me? God will provide. Abraham's going to name this place. The Lord sees and the Lord provides. And when we step out in faith and give up what God asks us to give up, God provides. Number three, God provides the love we need and long for in the gospel. What you're holding on to, listen, let me set this up. What you're holding on to, that relationship, that child, that son, that daughter, that career, that money, whatever, that attitude, behavior, habit, whatever it is. Here's what you're looking for. You ready? You're holding on to it because your heart longs for the love that you can give and receive from that thing. The satisfaction, the joy, the contentment from that thing that you can give and receive. It's like this exchange. But in the gospel, here's what God provides. Everything you need in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of that. So in our, in our hearts, instead of the idol being set up, God is saying, coming to you saying, lay it down, remove it so that in its place you feel the full satisfaction and completeness and joy that can only be found in the perfect, capable, all-wise, all-satisfying Son of God. That's what I want to give you in its place. Wow. You know what this does? This frees us. This frees us. It's a beautiful thing. And it can only come about because of the Father and the Son. Abraham determined to go to the very end with his plan. But then here is Christ. Now, Isaac is a young man here. He might be 10, 11, 12, maybe even 13 years old. 
He's carrying the wood. He's walking up the mountain with his dad. And can you imagine the scene? He gets up there, and here is where we see Jesus. Here's the, here's the heart of the gospel, the determination of the Father to carry out his plan, but the submission of the Son to help his Father carry it out. And in Isaac, we see the submissive spirit of Jesus. He's a 13-year-old. Can you imagine? They build the altar, and then Abraham looks at him and says, Son, please get on the altar. Please, please, please get up here. Now, can you imagine Isaac, when he realizes, I'm it? Now, he has a choice. He's 13 years old. A couple things probably going through his mind. I said this in the first service. Dad, 100 years old catching up with you. He'll see now here. I know what you're, I know what you're thinking here. I was talking to some people in between the two services, and we all agree. In restaurants all across America today, there will be dads chasing around their little boys who cannot sit in a high chair or cannot sit in a seat for very long, let alone sit up on an altar. You know what I mean? Chasing them around. Can you imagine Isaac? But dad. There's got to be another way. What are you doing? And he, and he takes him and he, he just binds him on the altar. And, and I just lays there. Was, when I read it this week with you in my hair journal this week, I, my heart was so moved. I told one of our staff members, my heart was so moved by the submissiveness of Jesus for me. Lays down, and Isaac binds him up. Maybe for some of you this morning, listen, you're not followers of Jesus. You're in one of these two rooms, or you're watching me online. You're not a follower of Jesus. Here's what I want you to see. You can forget everything else, but here's what I want you to see, this one picture. A determined father and a submissive son giving everything they got for your life. And what you need to lay down this morning is your sin and yourself, and quit trying to figure it out, and quit running, and run to this incredible grace. Run this morning to it. Oh, what a picture. He raises his hand, and then the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, can you imagine? That's the quickest. He says, here I am. That's the, probably the quickest here I am you'll ever see in all the scriptures, right? What, what, what? What? I'm here. Thank you. Now, now listen. Listen how beautiful these words are. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Here it is. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Listen, gang. This is what we want to hear as we walk through the word together. Is God to say, as I ask you to give it up, now I know that you fear me. You love me more than anything else. And it's sweet. It's sweet. Because look at what God does. He provides a substitute, a sacrifice. He doesn't have to kill his son. He, he gives Abraham exactly what God needs for worship. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was this ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Can you imagine this scene? God has provided, he says. Look at it, verse 14. He calls the name of the place, the Lord will 
provide, as it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. He keeps saying over and over, God did it, God did it, God provided. I listened, I stepped out, I obeyed, I didn't see it, I didn't feel it, but he will provide. I love what Tozer says in his book. I didn't read it for you. I didn't print it out for you, but I love at the end. It's almost as if Abraham weakened and, 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 and exhausted perhaps by this sense of, I have to do this, now stands and says, my God is a refuge and a strength for me because when he asked me to do something and I step out, he will provide. Wow, what confidence. Don't you want that? I'm going to live like that. And here's the thing, and we're done. The thing that you hold on to the most and you cling to tightly the most, you think that is what's going to satisfy. The plan, the idea, the attitude, the discipline, the work, whatever it is that you hold on to the most, God is saying, I'll satisfy it in Christ. I just want you to know me and fear me more and love me more than you love whatever it is. So what is it? What is it this morning that God is saying, lay it down? Because this is what worship really is. Worship is when we come and we say and we see what God has provided. And then we just say, we're free. I tried it out this week in a couple of ways, a couple of attitudes in my mind, a couple of things in my heart. And I just tried to, to take this text and say, God will provide if I just trust, if I just lean into him. And there's this incredible freedom that comes that says God is able and God is in control and God is working out his story in a much better way than I can write my own story. I can write a chapter here and there, but ultimately when God writes it, it's a beautiful thing. You can read in the rest of our passage here how God comes to Abraham and says, that's it. Because you've obeyed, because the plan keeps going. Oh, Abe, you did it. You did it, Abe. And the story I'm right, man, is going right through you. Oh, is there anything sweeter I long for it for you, where you are this week. Will you pray with me right now? Let's pray. Father, use this text this morning in the heart of the gospel. What a vivid picture of what Christ has done in redeeming us from our sin and what Christ has done in showing us the way to walk in faith. Oh, we see Christ as not only our Savior, Savior from the sin that I committed this week, but I see Him as my source and my example of how to submit to a determined Father who seeks to do a perfect will. So, Lord, for those who do not know Jesus, may they, may their hearts be so warmed. May their hearts just crumble.
before the love and grace of Jesus. May they run to him. And for those, Father, for those of us who we need to take a step today, no breaks. Lord, would you give your people the courage to release it and let it go? And then would you sustain them and bless them? Would you encourage them? And as they move, would you continually show yourself faithful? That's who you are. Show yourself faithful to them as they walk in faith. And will you bring this body to a new place because of your word, because of this text, because of your spirit, because of your son, Jesus, in whose name we